Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's commissioning podcast with Mark Sankey, Nick Taliska, and myself, Clayton Ferry. In this series of podcasts, we will be discussing commissioning and the quality assurance process in new construction and building retrofits to facilitate delivery of a completed project, which meets the owner's project requirements, which is tested and determined to be acceptable in full compliance in the finalization of a project. So before we start discussing our commissioning topics, let's just go through some brief introductions of each individual. Mark, I'll let you start with yourself. My name is Mark Sankey. I've been in the in the building management, energy management, and construction industries since 1981. Uh, undergraduate engineer, master's degree in business, have owned a couple of different businesses and still own a few, and have been integrally involved in uh, building construction, BMS, and energy for a number of years. Have multiple certifications, including certified building commissioning professional in 2007. And uh, that's all I have. Thanks a lot, Mark. Nick, how about yourself? Well, thanks, Clayton. My name is Nick Taliska. I started my company, Applied Facility Science, in 2003. And for the first couple of years, I worked primarily for several of the large uh, national energy service companies, or ESCOs, helping to develop performance contracts, guaranteed savings projects in a number of different markets. Within a couple of years, I became more engaged in the measurement and verification side of things, M&V. And as you both understand, M&V is a necessary part of performance contracts to validate that the level of savings have been achieved each year. And this has to be done because it's those savings that service the debt obligation that was required to finance the project's implementation to begin with. So it's all a financial deal, but the M&V discipline uh, has always appealed to me, continues to appeal to me. And, and I've thought about this over the years as why that is. And to me, MNV is the process of answering the question, you know, did things work like we thought they would? And it's discovering the truth about something. And, you know, I generally, I like the truth. Sometimes the truth can hurt, but overall, I'm a big fan of the truth. And I once heard someone say once that they have an erotic attraction to the truth. I don't know if I'd go that far, but have a very strong affection for it and measurement and verification of a project is the culmination of all prior project activities from your initial design all the way up through commissioning and commissioning is uh, intimately tied to measurement and verification and at certain stages they are practically indistinguishable from each other. Yeah, Nick, I could imagine you are the bearer of bad news quite a bit, but also, you know, the, the good guy or the bearer of good news quite a bit too in your, uh, in your projects. Well, that's really the thrill of it, Clayton, is to be able to point to something and say it works. And not only, you know, because I know it works, but to convey that, and we'll get into that. There's a variety of people that need to all look at it and agree it works yep. like we thought it would. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, my name's Clayton Ferry. So I have, I graduated college with my bachelor's in mechanical engineering in 2017. And I've been working with Mark ever since for his company, VS Energy, and got plopped right into it from zero to 100 very quick on a large scale, a very large scale airport project. So I learned a lot regarding commissioning, uh, systems design, programming, you know, just the full scale of everything. And 
from there, we've done some energy projects, some more commissioning projects, a lot of different aspects of, uh, of the engineering field and continuously learning every day. So that's a little bit about myself. Mark, do you mind talking a little bit about VS Energy? We founded VS Energy in 2004, the we being myself and my wife, Vivian, as an engineering and design firm, basically performing engineering for large-scale systems integration using uh, open protocol platforms. That The business uh, also took us in the direction of some measurement and verification, uh, certainly large-scale systems commissioning, and in a number of instances as subject matter experts in failed performance contracts or failed mechanical systems. Consequently, we developed a significant cadre of tools and abilities in all of those areas. And as Nick said, our mission is always, first of all, to build a quality project for the building owner. But in the case where a a project or a system is subject to scrutiny, to ascertain exactly what is the truth. And there is only one, especially in the engineering world. You can't change the rules of economics. You can't change the psychometric chart. And there's only one truth. And it oftentimes takes a significant amount of digging to find it. But when you get there, it is like finding a lost treasure. So that's our business. Uh, We only do work based on our reputation. So when, and we are, as we all are as professionals, asked to compromise, well, isn't this good enough? The short answer is no. It's only good enough when it's right. And and that's really a philosophy that we work and live by. Yeah, I agree. And Nick, how about a little bit about uh, applied facility science before we dive into the rest of the podcast? Oh, sure. Like I said, you know, primarily Ben the, the, on the measurement and verification side in uh, not exclusively, but predominantly in the federal government. So I've worked for a lot of military bases and laboratories and things like that. A lot of different sub-markets within, you know, the overall federal government. You know, these projects are large and they're complex and, you know, multiple projects involved in these energy savings performance contracts I'm talking about. And they can, you know, go on 20, 25 years and a lot of changes in between. So I've written a lot of measurement and verification plans for these projects. Also uh, over saw the execution and the ongoing maintenance of these plans and dealt with all the struggles on the way from, you know, major shortfalls right out of the gate and trying to trace back, you know, how, how did this happen and how do we correct from it to obviously changes along the way. And that's a huge part of the federal government not very static organizations uh, at any level. So you really, and you can't go in there and tell the military necessarily how they're going to operate their buildings when they have a change in their mission, because that's the primary goal there. So like I said, I've worked in a lot of projects all around the country, all around the world, uh, and a lot of different technologies. And it's remains a fascinating field to me. Like I said, I really do enjoy being on this side of it. But again, it's kind of the end stage of a project measurement and verification in a continuing stage, but so much like commissioning, it starts right at the beginning. It's the entirety of the project. It all starts at the beginning. So question for you guys then, and some listeners may be familiar with these terms and some may not. Obviously this is the commissioning podcast, but what is 
what is commissioning, recommissioning, and retro commissioning? Obviously, they're they're very similar, but all different. And why why do we do all of them? So commissioning is basically in in new construction. There should be if the project has been developed according to the ASHRAE 2005 guideline, an owner's project requirement document, which is basically developed with all the stakeholders of the owner in a room. What do you require this building to do uh, in terms of energy performance, in terms of indoor environmental stability, quality, et cetera, in terms of light levels, basically all of the fundamentals that are required to make the building usable and operable for the occupants. And, and post that, the engineer takes over to design a building to meet those requirements. And during the design phase, the, there should be peer reviews under the 2005 guideline that take place with the engineer penning a document called the basis of design, which is the verbal justification of primary equipment selections, envelope types, building. It can be as simple as the building orientation, north, south, east, west, to types of insulation, types of construction, so that during the peer review, the building owner and the reviewing engineer can understand exactly why the design is taking the direction that it is and why the equipment being selected and identified for use in the building is being selected. And then post that, obviously during the construction phase, there are construction inspections, et cetera, to, to assure compliance with the specification in terms of means and methods. And then we'll get to it, and here's where the commonalities start with the pre-functional test, functional tests, and final sign-offs. And then recommissioning is recommissioning an existing building to its original design standards, meaning there's been no change in the use of the building, no change or significant change in occupancy, and recommissioning means the commissioning entity, commissioning authority, goes back and reestablishes the building operation to the original design criteria. And retro commissioning is the recommissioning of a building to new standards, either by virtue of code changes, which either require or allow adjustments in the operational characteristics of the building or a significant change in the use of the building, i.e. repurposing a uh, school building to an apartment complex, et cetera, et cetera, where the building's use has changed over time and therefore is retro-commissioned to a new standard. So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, right, because I know the answer, but why, why do you have to do commissioning? I mean, shouldn't everything that's designed and installed work at the end? Well, it's interesting, Clayton. I mean, and that's, it's funny when I first heard about commissioning years ago when I was starting in the business, I kind of wondered why it was even a, a term that was used. And then I, you know, understood it because I figured that was just a normal part of any project. I mean, you're, you're, you know, a project is a set of actions and you're designed to go from one state to another state, you know, a problem state to a solution state. How do you know with complex projects necessarily how you how you got there? How do you know it when you see it? So it seemed like it would be something that was already you know well defined within the you know project delivery standards. And then I'm still surprised at this day where when you read about commissioning and 
there's some there sometimes seems to be like a uh still a persuasion campaign going on that you know people are trying to convince people this is something you want to do and you know and and mark everything mark said about commissioning and retro commissioning and recommissioning is 100% right on but it's the same you know root word at least how i look at it it's the it's the you know the act of making sure that the customer the client got what they expected and and that's a huge part of the commissioning process is is keeping that continuity from the initial project definition through you know here's how it's actually operating right we need to make sure that what what the owner wants right and expects is followed through for the entirety of the project and at the end of the project they they have got that in their job and uh, from my experience, obviously, it seems like that sometimes it can be a quite a struggle to get there, even though it shouldn't really be. I'll provide a quick anecdote here. So me being the oldest guy on here, back when I started in the industry, there was a quality process in the design, bid, build process to make sure the owner got what they wanted. And there was typically an individual in those days known as the clerk of the works. And clearly buildings were a lot less sophisticated. There was no such thing as a personal computer. There were no PBXs or anything like that. So every phone was hardwired. Every light had a switch on it that was hardwired to it. So things were less sophisticated. Consequently, the, the technical expertise or the spectrum of technical expertise was not as great or as demanding as it is now. But that said, there was still an individual known as the clerk of the works. And that guy, basically, when he got the plans from the engineer and architect, they were treated like God was handing the Ten Commandments to Moses. And it was written in stone. And what was in those documents had best be what was being put on that job and built, or the clerk of the works was He'll grab somebody by the scruff of the neck, have a little sit down and get a clear understanding as to why the changes were made. And if they weren't authorized, that they were unacceptable and the job would be built according to the plans and specs. Now, as the construction management and um, guaranteed max pricing, et cetera, et cetera, came to the forefront in the late 80s and early 90s, that position was ruled unnecessary because the entities espousing those contracting mechanisms were touting them as including 100% quality control from start to finish. And that gave rise to the function and term of commissioning to basically get back to the point where there was an individual or a group that was responsible for the quality of the project from inception to completion. That's interesting, Mark. Now, now, what's your perspective on on how the the definition of of quality? Because I imagine in, in the times you're talking about how the how the process was run, that uh, the clerk of the work, I and mean, we were talking about the making sure the project was installed. You're talking more about the physical aspects of it, equipment. Uh, manners of work, but what about the the actual performance of the systems? Was was that a focus of the of the people in those roles? That's a great question, Nick. And you know, in those days, there was so go back again. Energy was relatively inexpensive. Ventilation rates were 
typically not measured but were prescribed. So very few systems, unless it was a laboratory or a critical environment, included things like airflow measurement stations, indoor air quality sensing, or any of those things. Even variable air volume systems were, you know, variable frequency drives were not around. So if you were doing VAV, it was with a vortex damper and pneumatic controls. So the level of sophistication to measure is the building doing exactly what it was supposed to do. The tool set wasn't there, but, you know, that clerk of the works relied extensively on the air balancer and the water balancer to get an understanding of how the systems were performing and to the best of their abilities could pretty well verify that yes, it was, or no, it wasn't performing, but certainly not at the level of sophistication there is now. Yeah. It makes sense to me too. And you know, it seems like some people may have the the perception of commissioning to be you're going through a facility and you have a checklist, right? I'm going to go say, does this, this, and this do what it's supposed to do? Yep. Okay. We're all good. Sign off and done. But to do commissioning properly, it, it's a heavily involved process. Well, certainly right. I mean, multiple steps to the process, depending on the project as well. But what you just described is definitely a, a part of it. But I, I think that's at least in a lot of the projects I'm involved with, that there does seem to be more of a, you know, when you talk about these construction checklists versus some more sophisticated testing of the system's functionality, and then even comparing that to what was designed, you know, that can be lacking. And, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And I'm, I'm interested in, in Mark's perspective on that too. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of room for improvement. That's, that's for sure. I will tell you it's at least three or four times a year that we will get calls or inquiries from people that want us to commission their project. They'll start out like that. We'd like you to commission our project. What is it? Uh, It's a manufacturing facility. It's a school building, which, uh, I mean, they all need commissioning. Okay, when, when will you break ground? Oh, it's all done. Okay. So what would you like? Well, we want you to come in and do, you know, the the commissioning. I said commissioning starts before construction starts. Well, yeah, well, um, we really didn't do that, but we want to make sure that it's all right now. That is, first of all, you have no chance of making any friends, not one. Everybody is going to get a kick in the butt from the owner to the engineer to the contractors because, when you and I, I do it regularly, do you have the OPR? What's that? The owner's project requirements? Uh, not really. I said, who did the peer review? You know that that this is the way the conversation goes, and then finally we'll say, probably not interested. We're the wrong company <laughs> to be involved on this, and they'll go and find somebody that will do it and provide them a commissioning report, and off they go with the thought process that they have now a fully commissioned building and it'll work right. And uh, everything operates based on, you know, on a half a million square foot building where we have a guy walk around with, with a clipboard for a couple of weeks and send them a report and it's done. That is not commissioning. Now, is it tough though to sometimes convince the owner too, that the, what do you want to call added costs to commission properly is worth it as well. I mean, do you 
struggle with that at all? You know, not coming from a contractor standpoint, but from the owner standpoint saying, we're going to have X amount of hours on this job because we, this is what it takes. And they're under the impression that maybe it, it's only come and check it out and say, it's good. I, I think, and Nick, you jump in anytime here, but we subscribe to a philosophy that there's really only one right methodology to perform this function. Take the steps, take the time, and what you what it costs you in commissioning costs pays for itself directly on the project in terms of eliminated rework, eliminated deviations from the schedule. Basically, you have a, a dedicated set of eyes and ears that does everything from cross-check the design to checking the submittals to verifying the installation is as designed so that when you finally get to the point where the pre-functional test is done and you start the functional testing process, unless you know something slipped through the cracks, it's a slam dunk. Everything works. And that keeps a project on schedule. It keeps a, you know, by the time a project's done, if you get to, and you call a commissioning agent in in the last, you know, month of the job and say, we need this job commissioned. How do, how does that commissioning agent ever go back? If there's a design error, if there's an installation error, how do you correct that without partial disassembly of the building or the systems and doing all the rework, unless you compromise the performance of the building? Don't compromise the performance of the building and do it right. Well, and that's what's interesting, Mark, when you have, uh, you know, those guys after the fact, you know, that would be the, a retro commissioning type of project, right? They, they built the project. Now they come to the realization that they would like to commission it. You know, I, I would have to reason that generally the, the reason is that because there's a problem. There's a problem. Or multiple problems that are significant and... I think then when you start framing it, well, this is why you should have done this to begin with, you know, a lot of everything that that's part of commissioning sounds like, shouldn't I already be paying for this? Isn't that this guy's job over here to make sure everything's installed that he ordered the right equipment? Well, it, that's interesting, Nick. Um, and, and just a, as a discussion of the last two projects that we were on, submittals, reviewed by the engineer never got an approved stamp they were stamped checked by that's all no approvals and basically we had products and systems that were approved for use on the project um, in one case that are now being uh, the, the project is barely started up that are now being torn out thrown away, redesigned, and reinstalled because they were checked but not approved. The, the engineering community, by and large, has washed its hands of uh, responsibility and basically works very hard you know, at the council, at, at the urging of their lawyers not to approve anything, even though it's their design, even though they do have professional uh, liability for the design. Once it leaves the, the the drawings, leave their desk. They don't have responsibility for what the contractor selects to put in, even if they check it. So, 
that oftentimes falls to the, the commissioning agent to review the submittals. And when you do and you find an error and you reject it, then it goes back to the engineer and they'll say, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe we should revise and resubmit this. It's very disheartening because the and this is not to you know cast aspersions on the entire engineering community, but certainly there are groups out there that make their money by cutting and pasting. And, you know, the last two projects, like I said, never an engineer on site, not one time during the construction process. So from the owner's perspective, the absence of a commissioning entity on those projects would have been catastrophic. And that's just one example or, you know, one, I guess, area of a, uh lots of good opportunities for things to fall through the cracks that are quite important. And I, I know I've, I've, I've heard you talk before about the importance of, you know, obviously boots on the ground and people in the field and all that. And, and I, and I completely agree, but it's, it's also that helps to preserve this, uh, the continuity of a project. I mean, you can look at it at, any number of reasons why projects fail, whether it's just, you know, not working, not satisfying cooling load to the internals of an organization, why the project wasn't profitable for them, or the margins weren't high, is that there was some kind of decoupling along the way. You know, these things start off with a defined set of, you know, problems that we're looking to address. And uh, a lot of times over months, with a lot of people involved, if there is not some kind of overriding, you know, person or entity looking out for all those things, definitely thousands of ways things can go off track. Nick and Mark, those are both really great points. And I think that does a really good job of summarizing what this podcast is going to be all about. Essentially, the value of a good commissioning agent is far outweighs the cost of a good commissioning agent at the end of the day, at the end of the project. Uh, having a commissioning agent involved for the entirety of the project will ultimately benefit the outcome and the cost in a positive way. And I think with that being said, that's where we will be wrapping this podcast up. So Nick and Mark, thanks a lot for your time. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to our introduction of commissioning podcast. Our next episode, we will be discussing the commissioning process, so stay tuned.